Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Do you want to become insanely successful? Do you want to be the go-to guru in your industry? Do you want to be talked about for all the right reasons? For over 40 years, Kevin Harrington has helped people just like you become significant influencers. Now he's broken the process down in the key person of influence roadmap, and it's yours for free. Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience the success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. Today, I've got the good fortune to be having a rare distinction, one of our guests that we like so much, we had him back for the second time. Uh, None other than Ace Chapman, who is an expert in business slipping and investing. He teaches individuals how to invest into online businesses as a brilliant passive income stream. Many who have worked with him have been able to replace their day job and retire early. He also provides companies with expert advice on how to make their businesses ready for sale. And he's recently raised a $12 million micro-private equity fund, which we're super excited to talk about today. Ace, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, it's great to be here with you again. I'm excited to get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of of what's going on in the market right now, which obviously there's a lot. Uh, and, And, you know, chat about anything you think your listeners would be interested in. Awesome. So let's dive right in. So we're going to assume that they didn't listen to the previous episode because it was a while ago. Let's give them a brief background on uh, who you are longer than the two sentence bio I used to introduce you. So how did you get started? Yeah. So all of this started exactly 20 years ago, um, about a month ago. Uh, I bought a business when I was in college at 19. It was a stock market simulator that I was a customer of. And long story short, I reached out to them to become an intern in my sophomore year, uh, just because I noticed that the business was crashing all the time. There was no customer service. It had all these issues. So I'm thinking, these people obviously need some help. When I, when I reached out to them, they replied back and said, listen, like, we actually moved on to another business. This, we're trying to do this part-time. We want to sell it. If you know anybody that wants to buy it, uh, we'd be happy to sell it and uh, ended up convincing them to give a 19-year-old kid a chance, uh, leverage my $3,000 in in savings to uh, buy what was then a $70,000 business. So that's incredible. I mean, we could talk for half an hour just about that and, and the lessons you learned from that, but let's get into, so that was the start. That was your first business. And obviously you become a serial entrepreneur then before we dive into the microcap fund and what's going on in the market, just share with us a couple of the lessons, like the biggest takeaways you've learned along the way, because you've been doing this for decades. Yeah, well, and from that deal, even that very first lesson that's uh, kind of changed my life ever since was 
oh, that realizing a realization that I could buy income, you know, instead of having to work for income or start something from scratch to try to get to income. So the first paradigm shift for me was the same way that I can go and borrow money to buy a house instead of trying to build it from scratch. The same way that I can, I would go and buy a car, would never try to build that from scratch. You know, I can use leverage and, and um, loans or whatever, even if I don't have cash and go buy the income that I, I want to make. And, you know, that was the first paradigm shift. And then the second, the first business actually failed. Um, so it, I ran it for about three years. And then the 2001 crash happened and our clients went out of business. And so we eventually went out of business and I was completely devastated. And I was fortunate to meet a mentor, a guy who uh, flipped hospitals. Um, and, you know, just that was impressive enough for me. I, say, so, I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I get to spend some time with them and, you know, I'm licking my wounds from, from this whole thing because all of my examples at that point were people like Steve Jobs, like Bill Gates, uh, Larry Ellison. It was taking a business and you're going to grow it forever and you're going to become a billionaire one day. And so that was the entrepreneur's path. And so my, my venture that I planned on doing that with Kowalski was now failure. And so I felt like I failed. And I'm talking to this guy and he's like, okay, so tell me about that business. And I'm kind of telling about it. And he's like, so basically you took $3,000 and over the course of those three years turned it into 200. It's like, go do that again. Like, what are you, why are you sitting here doing that? They're like, that was a success. Go do it again. And I, I think just that's something for a lot of entrepreneurs where, you know, we have a high uh, failure rate and uh, as entrepreneurs and eventually these businesses they, we can't expect them to last forever you know 98% of the businesses that start on the Dow Jones are, aren't around anymore and so you've got to look at that business as you know how can I make sure that I'm getting a, a great ROI over this period of time for this business and it, more importantly knowing when to let it go so that you can maintain that high ROI and move on to the next project. That's an excellent way to look at it and probably contrary to what most people think it's their baby. They got to do it forever. They hope their kids take it one day and continue it. And you're looking at almost like from your stock trading background of I'm not going to buy a stock and hold it forever. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to have a defined goal. Hey, this is the return on my investment I'm looking for. And then I'm going to sell it when it hits my stop order and get something else. And you're looking at businesses the same way that a lot of people might look at stocks, which is a great way to look at it because then you're not emotionally invested like it would be if it was your baby and you grew it from scratch and you thought this was all you're going to do your whole life. Yeah. And, and I see the other side of that. A lot of my opportunities, you know, I've bought a mortgage company, escrow company, a few salons and spas and retail stores. And in a lot of those cases, I'm dealing with that entrepreneur that did see their business as the thing that they were going to pass down to their kids and, you know, be in the family forever and, and all of that. And so the other side of that is that they don't build a business that's prepared for sale. And it ends up meaning that they're going to sell at a discount compared to what they could sell for if they had worked in that business and built it in a way so that it had the SOPs ready, you know, it had a staff in place so that they were building. It's like, all right, I want to maximize my exit out of this business as well. 
Okay, so that makes total sense. I agree 100%. And you've been doing this for 20 years. So let's talk about you've done it for yourself. You teach. When did you start teaching other people how to do it? So uh, I hit a, a point about 10 years ago uh, when I owned nine offline businesses and I was trying to figure out how in the world can I do more of this? And, you know, I had two options. It was do bigger deals. And the biggest downside to that is, you know, the way it works is you pay a higher multiple. So the larger deal that you buy, the lower the return, basically. And I so love you. Able to I got to interrupt. So for our listeners who are watching or hearing this might not realize that. So if you're buying $150,000 a year dry cleaner in your local market, that actually might be more profitable on a percentage basis than buying a $10 million steel manufacturing company. 100%. Uh, and specifically, uh, that $150,000 business is gonna sell probably at a two multiple, which means you know, you're gonna make all of your money back over the course of two years and essentially be getting a 50% return if you pay cash. And we know that there are a lot of programs, SBA, there's seller financing, there's all kinds of things that you can use to make sure that you're getting a much better return than even the 50% if you paid all cash. When you compare that to the $10 million deal, there are a lot of private equity funds. There's a lot of institutional buyers that will pay uh, $10 million and they're happy with a five or six multiple. So that means uh, they're, they're going to make $2 million a year on that $10 million and only be getting a 20% return. So your minimum 50% return beats out that every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And obviously, probably a lot easier to find financing um, if you're just starting out doing this to buy a $150,000 a year dry cleaner. And then if you make a mistake, it's a much smaller mistake than trying to do your first deal for $10 million a year. And the bank might, or whoever might be looking at you going like, what's your track record? Who are you? Why are we trusting you with all of this money? Kind of like if you were investing in real estate, your very first deal wouldn't be a hundred unit apartment building, right? You'd probably yeah. start out with one single family rental property, and maybe you go to a duplex and then a fourplex and then an eight and you work your way up and get used to the bigger deals before you go say, Hey, I want a hundred units or a $10 million company. So that makes total sense. Talk a little bit, obviously we're recording this during the height of the Corona pandemic. What are you seeing is what's going on in the marketplace now? How is that affecting your world? Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's definitely bringing uh, a lot more motivated sellers to the market uh, that are being impacted by Corona. For us, there's a lot of opportunities and, you know, it's, it's also an opportunity because there aren't a lot of business buyers out there. And so the opportunity for us is, is also providing that liquidity. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, this person's in trouble and you're buying the business when they're in trouble. And it's like, yes, but how much trouble would they be in if we didn't buy the business, <laughs> you know, if they weren't able to get that, to get that cash uh, and liquidity uh, to, to help them out. And so that, that's been a, a really neat thing. And, and the deals are just absolutely incredible, even for internet businesses that are currently shut down or dealing with manufacturers that are, are in China. We just did a deal on, uh, we've got a couple of deals this week on e-commerce businesses and, you know, we're, we're getting them at a tremendous discount, but there's a risk. I mean, they're closed right now. We've got to get them restarted with the manufacturer once, once things ramp up. Uh, but yeah, it's been shocking. I've been shocked 
And, and the way that I like to do these types of deals is just tell the person, hey, I've got to give you this incredibly low amount in order that, for this to work for me. I only want to do the deal with you if you're happy. You know, and, and I've done a deal. I did one deal with a guy who, uh, I'll tell a short story real quick. It's an interesting one. So I bought a series of spas. I've done five spas. I was packaging those and selling them. And in the course of that, we reached out to a lot of different spots all over the, the South, you know, kind of my uh, area. And uh, uh, this guy had reached out kind of after we had stopped buying. And I really already sold the original five packaged uh, spas. But, you know, he said, I'm really motivated. I got to sell this thing. I have no options, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, well, send me all the information and we can get you an offer. And he was like, all right, I I'll send the information, but I'd rather for you to come to my house and meet me in person and give the offer in person for dinner. And I'm like, okay, you know, like I'll do it. So I go to his house and we're having dinner and we're wrapping up. He's like, all right, so tell me what, what are you thinking as, as far as the price? And I tell him what my price is and he's quiet and I'm quiet. And you know, that's a typical negotiation tactic. Yeah, so when first I'm, person you know, to talk loses. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm okay with that. But then I look at him kind of as I'm mid-bite and realize he is turning red to the point of purple, <laughs> like literally steaming. And then just burst into a bunch of expletives that curse me out. And how dare you come into my house and give me this terrible offer. And I'm like, you asked me to come to your house. So a couple of days later, his wife calls and says, um, you know, we'll, we'll take that offer. And I'm like, whoa, wow. like, like it doesn't seem like he wanted to take that offer. And I'm even further now along with even just in a few days, like I'm already working a deal to sell these other ones. It's like, if you guys, I, and I actually went down a little bit more. It's like, if you're definitely willing to take that, we can close at this low price and, and take over. And so, uh, long story short, ended up buying it. I was going to take the inventory and, and put it into the other spots. It was a very inexpensive deal. So the first day I walk in, the manager's like, has this like terrified look on her face. And she's like, did you see the email that went out? And I was like, no, well, I, we didn't send an email out. The guy, the previous owner had went into our MailChimp because we hadn't changed the password yet sent an email out to all the customers saying, uh, yeah, this the new owners, this guy Ace, they should call him the Ace Hole because he oh really God. messed us over in this deal that you shouldn't do business there anymore. And uh, uh, so we, it, was a, it was a pretty devastating blow, but that was my realization from there on out. It's like, I'm double, triple checking. Are you okay with this sale? Are you happy with it? But I, there are, in the times that we're in right now, there are a lot of very, very motivated uh, sellers that have some great assets that long-term will come back for the people that are entrepreneurs that want to come in and put some work and some elbow grease into those deals. Sure. If you think about it, it makes sense because if their business is shut down or if their revenue is down and they're thinking, hey, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's getting time for me to retire anyway or close to it or I just can't take it and you have the fortitude to participate and wait it out and get it back to where it was or even better, then obviously they're happy that they don't have the stress anymore and you've got something at a fire sale price that could become very profitable. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, microcap fund and how did that come about? 
So after doing uh, a, a lot of deals, you know, like I, I mentioned, what the place that I ended up 10 years ago was realizing I don't want to do the larger deals. I want to do more, more small deals. And so I ended up uh, working with other people, eventually investing in the, the deals that they did. So that allowed me to grow my portfolio with people that knew that what they were doing. What ended up happening after that is a lot of those people, even when they bought their first business, they're like, hey, I want to put money into more of these types of deals. You know, I don't want to put my money into the stock market only 8%. Like I know how this stuff works. I don't have enough time to go do another deal, but I do have some cash. So I put together my first small fund about six years ago. And uh, it was, a, a, again, a big paradigm shift for me because it was a realization of, okay, I see why the largest people in my space use a private equity fund as the mechanism to do these types of deals. You know, the, uh, the, the largest business buyers, when you look at Steve Schwarzman of, of uh, BlackRock or Henry Kravis, KKR, these guys, and even on the other end, Warren Buffett, they're not going out and buying businesses as an individual or just as a business buyer. They're creating funds or, or in Buffett's case, a, a public entity. And um, so that was when I started to see the benefits of, of that. And ever since then, everything that I, all the deals that I do are within these types of uh, private equity funds. Uh, so the most recent fund was a $12 million fund. We focused on internet-based businesses. And the, one of the benefits of pulling together a, a fund of, of many is you can buy businesses that help guarantee the success of the other businesses. One of the lessons that I learned a long time ago was the realization of we had a, a watch business that was spending about $50,000 a month on Facebook ads. And we uh, ended up buying a blog at the same time that was in the watch space. And we quickly realized like, man, if we took that $50,000 and just grew this blog even more, number one, just take the, you know, instead of spending the money to Facebook, uh, we can grow our own asset. This becomes a separate asset, but it also becomes the source of customers for this business. And that's what that fund was, was built around was, you know, buying the media and buying the commerce, buying the software and having things that are complementary. So, you know, a quick example was we bought a business called Open Rooms that sold uh, hotel rooms. We bought a business that Airfare watched all that had a million uh, emails uh, for Airfare. Open Rooms had a half million emails for hotels. Instantly, if we can buy both those businesses at a three multiple, we can instantly grow them by just doing uh, cross promotions. Awesome. That is obviously a great idea. Integration, vertical, horizontal of the supply chain or complementary businesses that can promote each other. So they're all in the same family, all in the same vertical. Awesome idea. Congratulations on the raise of the fund. Are you current? What do you do? Are you currently looking for businesses to buy? Are you looking for more investors to participate in the next round? What are you looking for? So uh, we actually just took a company public, FijiRoyalty.com. This came out of the, the fund when, you know, we were selling a business and part of that structure, if, uh, you know, I'm sure the listeners are watching Shark Tank, part of the structure that I like to do is a portion of royalty and Kevin O'Leary is 
always talking about uh, royalties, trying to make offers that go into perpetuity and, and all that. And so um, we realized that as we sell these businesses, that in and of itself is an asset. And so we, we started putting royalties into this business and now that's become a business that literally buys royalties. And so we just got the thumbs up. It's actually the first interview I'm doing where I, I talk, can talk publicly about it. We just got the uh, thumbs up to move ahead uh, from the SEC. And so now we're at FINRA waiting on our ticker symbol. Uh, but as of right now, we're officially public. So that's the next thing. And so for people that are interested in buying a business, we can invest in, in that business. And instead of taking equity from you, instead of you have being on the line for a loan and being liable for that, uh, we will invest and take a royalty in the business. Awesome. Congratulations. Uh, super exciting what you're up to. For our listeners and viewers who want to learn more about all things ACE, where is the best place for them to go? So for the royalties, check out FijiRoyalty.com. Uh, for me personally, if you're looking to learn how to buy a business, AceChapman.com. And you can go to YouTube and search uh, Ace Chapman as well. Awesome. Seth Green for Sharkpreneur here with Ace Chapman. Ace, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be on. Always a pleasure to have you back. We greatly appreciate your time. Everybody watching and listening, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.